0: they're very excited to be here on a tuesday rocking meetup live stream number 85 of the data on kubernetes community this live stream has been building up for a while i'm going to say even maybe six months i'm trying to think about the first time that i talked to Solomon. i'd have to check my my calendar to see when that first happened but very very happy to be here as usual welcome everyone to the date on kubernetes community if you're new some really easy things for you to do smash that subscribe button get in our slack follow us on twitter check us out on linkedin do all that good stuff also remember that we have our upcoming event in KubeCon on October 12th, right? our co-located event. I will be putting the link to that here in the chat so that you can sign up already. Um, so that's there, but don't worry. We'll have the, the speakers announced uh, this week so that everyone's more aware of the kind of content we're gonna be having. I've got a lot of really exciting stuff that's gonna happen. A special surprise speaker that we were able to get last week on Friday through some very interesting dynamic movements on Twitter. Um, but anyway, as a reminder, we are the Data on Kubernetes community. You will always have a place here to help learn about how to work with data on Kubernetes. Today's speaker is an awesome person. First of all, I'm just gonna start with the name and I just found out as well too about the first name. Salman means peace and Iqbal means prosperity. So today we got best of both worlds. We got peace and prosperity. Can never have too much of that. Um, Salman, welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think it's fair to say that's probably one of the best communities around. So uh, thank you very much for welcoming me. And I, and I apologize. It's taken me a little while to get here, but here we are. And, you know, we're going to have a great times so and thank you all very much uh, Bart and all your colleagues and the, the community who welcomed me so much made some kick-ass rats that you that you always make Bart and everything else and the tweets and um, I am very excited to be here and indeed uh, uh, my name means uh, peace and prosperity but today we're going to be talking about what happens when you lose a cluster? Not When it's not so peaceful.
0: <laughs> and not so prosperous. Either, yeah, not so
1: prosperous. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. And an, added
0: in- and an added ingredient on there. Well, just a couple of things. Your name on Twitter is
1: Soulman.
0: How did that, where did that come from?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a question here from, from Luke, I think. It says Soulman yeah. is a soul singer. I'm definitely not a singer. And so please don't ask me to, to sing. It's just that uh, Salman Iqbal is cu- quite a common name uh, in-, in, you know, some parts of the world. So there's quite a few Salmonic bars out there, and when I joined Twitter, I couldn't get Salmonic bar. I mean, I could get Salmonic bar six five four two one, but I was like, Does it doesn't make yeah. sense. It's been, yeah, it's been so funny. my friends in, back in university used to call me soul Man, and I was like, oh, maybe I should just do Sawmanic bar. It was available, and yeah, I just started with that. Uh, so if you set Salmonic well, many pop up. If you search Sawmanic well, I think there's only one, unless bar you want to there take. Can, that there
0: can only be though. There can only be one. Not the earliest one, because there can only be one. That's good. So now we got that background down. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about technically speaking, how you got into Kubernetes, and then we can start angling and more to what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my my real name, as Bart says, is is Salman, but you know, it's fine, you call me Salman or Salman. So I got into Kubernetes, maybe I'll start, I, I, I come from a developer background, so I studied aerospace engineering. Somehow I ended up working in Kubernetes, but you know, it's uh, wherever the road takes you. Um, yeah, so I was working as a developer, working as a cl- cloud developer about, I'm going to say about three and a half, four years ago, I got mm-hmm. into uh, one of my uh, really close friends, uh, uh, Louis Denimparry. Um He is a co-organizer with Cloud Native Wales. He's uh, he's basically introduced me to containers and Kubernetes, and we started going to meetups. We started our own meetup in, in Wales, I'm based in Wales. Um, Westside represent, as you were saying on on the wrap uh, the other day, uh, and uh, yeah, so and from from there on, I started uh, we started migrating our workloads to Kubernetes uh, itself, and I ended up going to Austin uh, in KubeCon, and that was that was great, and I think that was the that was really the springboard, and from there on, I worked with amazing people uh, within our community. I go in touch uh, with Daniela Blenitch, who is uh, Learn K 8s founder and uh you know the 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 one-man show and you know i worked with him quite a lot doing some training stuff so yeah i've got experience of uh running workloads in kubernetes for the last i'm going to say two and a half years it definitely feels a lot longer i'm not sure why but it definitely feels a lot longer but i think i'm going to say two and a half three years and um i i and then i started doing kubernetes training by learn which i've been doing for the last again the same two 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 and a half years perhaps but currently i'm working Right now, with Appia. it's a cloud consultancy company, and uh, what I do, my role is uh, MLOps, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. I'll, I'll give a bit of background, but yeah, everything to run on the cloud and Kubernetes—that's what I do. Very, very good. Now,
0: um, you mentioned your your you know experience as a trainer. What are the what are the common problems that you see that folks having? Because it's no secret that Kubernetes is challenging. There are difficulties around that if you can give advice to folks that are out there that are, you know, that are learning this stuff. And I think everybody's learning this stuff when it comes down to it. You know, I was talking to somebody about that earlier today, you know, how many true experts can you find on something that's constantly evolving, but what would your recommendations be for folks that are out there? Not just maybe in terms of resources, but what are the real common problems that you've seen as a trainer?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think that's a, that's a very good question. What was the real common problem? And I think just going to go with my experience. I think, especially when people are starting out, I mean, there's, you know when people are starting out there's too much right and there's a lot to take in and you perhaps don't know where to start uh you know like um, and when you do start what are the things we need to be doing afterwards now uh of course we know that there's there's tons of um there's tons of uh, uh material out there that you can follow but i think the best piece of advice i can give is talk to people around you, join communities. Uh, I know it sounds like we're at at a meetup for for Doc and I'm talking about Doc, but that's honestly, that's the truth. And the way I learned about all of this was from from our meetup, Cloud Native Worlds. And I just talk to people around you, talk to people on Twitter, join the Doc community on Slack or other communities on Slack or wherever they are and ask them like, oh, I'm starting up, what am I doing? Even post on Twitter. A lot of people, there's tons of people out there on Twitter, like, buy yourself and... Uh, you know uh, David and there's so many people out there who just who are helping out and I can see Simon's there on from Cloud Native Islam. Yeah
0: shout out. Simon's
1: always helping out people and you know he's uh, uh, he's just pointing them in the right direction. Yeah so I think point is don't there's a lot of course and but my key takeaway is you know talk to people around you uh and go to meetups. i think that's great is that
0: don't see it as a technical problem see it as a people no, problem it, it is a people get, problem get yeah. in touch with the right people that's it and learn absolutely. in public yeah i think that's absolutely, a really, I think that's, absolutely. A really, that's a great absolutely. point absolutely. sound advice awesome salman well with that with that in mind uh you can jump right into your presentation as a reminder folks um you know for if you have questions put them in the chat we'll get them answered accordingly if you don't have time we can take it to slack but this this topic in particular, you know, I lost my cluster. Is this something that you speak from experience? Have you ever lost a cluster? Uh,
1: absolutely. Uh, okay. definitely did not do it on purpose, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes happens uh, uh, you know and uh, the the point of this talk is to see is just to show you I think it goes back to the point like oh once we start, you know, you can get started. And everything's good. But, you know, people call this day two operations. Once everything's up and running, what do you do? Like how do you make sure you, you you've got you've got your um, policies and your procedures in place for if anything goes wrong? How do you go back to it? And what things you need to consider and what you need to do. So I think so that's basically the talk comes from experience. And also while doing training, people do ask this quite a lot because the mind shift, there's a bit of a mind shift from what you used to do before, what you do now um, in Kubernetes. And hopefully we will touch upon some of the some of the topics that might uh, might you know you might find interesting or boring depending on how you look at it certainly um, not <laughs> but yeah so yeah feel, please feel free to drop your questions in uh, but if i miss a question please have a look of just let me Absolutely. know and, I, and, I'll, and i'll and i'll and i'll i'll jump right in anytime anything's unclear just let me know uh please people uh on 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 the chat uh on the screen i i've made a massive presentation but you know hopefully we can have a discussion and I won't
0: bore you to that. Oh, yeah. And quick shout out as well to talking about discussions. If you want to see Salman live again next week on September 15th, he'll be speaking in KCD uh, UK, Kubernetes Community Days. Awesome event being put on by awesome people. Massive shout out to Matt Jarvis for all the work he's doing there and all the other folks involved in the organization. I put a link in here already. We'll put a link at the end for folks who arrived a little bit late. But just keep that in mind. That's happening next week. It's absolutely free. Um, there will be very, very good talks, and Salman
1: is one of the speakers that will be involved there. So just keep that absolutely. Up. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for the thanks for the plug, Bot, because it's absolutely free. There's workshop where we'll talk about it now. And I have a, I have a slide and I good. shall I, I shall drop that slide in. Do it. Uh, excellent, excellent. So let me start my sharing. You know, just okay. make sure we get the technology working correctly. <laughs> so I think this is right. Yep, you're all good. What are we saying? Are we good? Yep. Excellent. So thank you very much, Bart, for an amazing intro. I love the energy from the community. I honestly really like that. And thanks, everyone, for joining in. Um. So we are going to be talking about Kubernetes Backup and Restore. Just a little bit about me. Who am I? My name is Salmani Bao. Currently, I work as an MLOps engineer at Apia. So all, all I try to do is try and run machine learning workloads. Um, I say all I try to do. <laughs> I try and run machine learning workloads in the cloud in the most efficient uh, manner. So it could be running in Kubernetes or outside Kubernetes. Um, So that's what my day job is. And I have worked in a number of organizations. I work uh, within the UK government, outside the UK government, currently I'm working with Bank of England. I have worked in finance. I have also worked in aerospace industry. So I have a varied background. I actually come as, I am a developer. So I come from a developer background, but I've been doing uh, Kubernetes um, training and working with Kubernetes for the last two, and a half three years. Um, also, I work as a Kubernetes instructor for Learn K8. Shout out to Learn 8s beautiful blogs from all the people from Learn 8s You can check out Learn 8s so if you go over to Learn slash io, I think one of the things I'll plug in now because we're on it, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later on just today. Fresh, hot, off the press. The first demo. This is, uh, you know, you know, we'd like to uh, uh we like to make sure that we uh, um, you know. We know where we're spending our money, of course, and we want to know how we are very efficient. And the way we do that is by reading on Kubernetes pricing plan and trying to figure out uh, how much is it going to cost me per pod. It's very difficult to do, but the the people at LearnKitten, Daniele and a couple more, have worked on this quite hard, quite, quite uh, intensely uh, for the last few few weeks and a couple of months, and to bring you a. A calculator. I'm going to drop this. I'm going to drop a link to this in in the chat so you can you can play around with this. But the point is, this will give you cost per pod. So if you have a, a cluster configuration, it will tell you how much each of your pods are going to cost you. You know, this is, is nitty gritty. You can do it for AWS, GCP, and and Azure. There's a lot of information in here, but I, I think I'll I'll just drop in hard off the press. Good. Um, I'm going to drop that. That's the first demo at the end of the at the end of the we'll, we'll talk at the end of the. Uh, presentation we'll talk about it but anyway that's uh you know there's tons of blogs in here you can check out uh so um it's in I've i've pasted that in yeah that's me it's a learn case i've done training all over the world and i i love doing it because you know i, I learned a lot actually i learned a lot from training itself and from doing it um also i am part of the uh cloud native wheels and cloud native islam one that's uh, uh sign is on there uh, community we started this community to make sure that we were having right discussions around cloud technologies within, within, within Wales. And, you know, it's been going strong for the last, I think, three years. Uh, and uh, yeah, next, next, next week, we are doing this Kubernetes Communities Days UK in collaboration with other, other meetups. You can find me on Twitter at Solman Iqbal. uh <laughs> the main, name as we were discussing earlier on. Yeah. So you can just uh, head over to, Twitter, and if you, that's probably the best way to reach me if you, or uh, I'll talk about it in a second. I, I have to put this in because, uh, you know, uh, at, at Appia, we are hiring people. It's just a, uh, just a slide that I have to, I have to put in. We, we're looking for Kubernetes engineers, Golang engineers. If you're interested, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool company to work in. And, uh, yeah, just drop in, take a screenshot of the slide. Drop in recent recent email. You can head over to the Appia website appia.io and have a look at it in more detail. But basically, we are hiring. If you if there's if there's something you see uh, that's not there and you're still interested, please drop Reese a, Reese a message and he'll let you know. Another place where you can get me, where you can find me, is on YouTube. <laughs> so I started a YouTube channel a while ago and I haven't. Updated uh, um, my uh, uh, and I haven't updated my uh, uh, I haven't uploaded the video in a little while. But uh, here we are. If you if you want to find me on YouTube, uh, you can just search so cloud I make short videos on Kubernetes, uh, just trying to explain some of the concepts. And I'll really appreciate if you could uh, like and subscribe, as as they all say. And yeah, uh, everything on there will be. I'm going to be uploading new and more videos before the end of this year. Uh, there's quite a few. There's a couple of series coming up as well. So just big shout out to Kubernetes community days UK. It's a free two-day conference happening next week, 15th, 16th of September. I think it's UK time, uh, so 9 a.m. here till I think three or four p.m. Um, so hopefully you can catch some of it, and it's completely completely free. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of uh, talks on Kubernetes itself and and the uh, cloud native landscape around. And also, I'm going to be doing a talk next week on exactly what Bart asked me, uh, which is, and he actually, he summarized it quite well, uh, that uh, the problems that we face today can be solved if you talk to people around us and learn from them. And got, I'm gonna be talking about how community is more important than technology because technology changes all the time. The only thing constant is that we have community. So that's what I'm gonna talk about, but there's amazing workshops and talks and it's completely free, kcduk.io. Um, a bot has already dropped in a um dropped in a link inside, but that's all the intro is done, so what is the fuss about what we are trying to achieve here? What's the fuss about backups and restores? You know, we've got our Kubernetes cluster which is running all the things correctly, and you know, I don't see a problem, everything is fine. But what's the fuss? Like, why do I need to make sure I can do backups? Like, for example. Something happens. Uh, a meteor strikes your data center, or something, or something happens, or you, or or like me, uh, you're doing something that you're not supposed to do, and you delete your cluster by mistake, or you delete your configuration, or delete your application by mistake. That can happen. Mistakes happen all the time. I can only speak to the meteor strikes, which happens <laughs> once, <laughs> once, twice a
0: month for sure.
1: And it could be unlucky, a meteor strike could, you know, end up on, on your data center. It could happen, right? Could, could happen. Yep. Could happen. But more likely, it's uh, people like me managed to delete something that they shouldn't have deleted because, uh, you know, uh, we just too trigger happy, running lots of commands. But yeah, it can happen. Or somebody can do something and maliciously delete your data, your applications, your configuration, your cluster, everything is gone. Or perhaps... You know, again, this comes in disaster recovery. You need, you need to do something like, as in, you know, you've got some other problems within where your servers are, not just uh, in a region. You need to move from one region to another, and maybe you've gone. Your Kubernetes cluster has gone into a state which is not really recoverable. It's 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 what we're going to call a corrupt state. Something that's happened. You can't really roll back your releases. You can't really roll back your deployments. Something's bad has happened, and we want to get back from it. So. Before I talk about how do we do this backup stuff, I think it's important to just have a brief, a super high-level view of what Kubernetes components are. And I'm sure all of you are uh, are very well aware of what the different Kubernetes components are, but I'll just lay it out really quickly all, all all, all together. So in a Kubernetes cluster, you usually have a number of machines. So we have some nodes, and they could be of any size. Um, they could be big, small. As long as they have memory and CPU, they can form a Kubernetes cluster. And what we usually do is we pick one or a number of machines for uh, for to be in charge and we call them the control plane. So the one on the right that you see the cube with the Kubernetes logo is the control plane and the two on the left are the worker nodes. So the control plane is in charge of deploying all our workloads and the, the, the components um, that get deployed, the workloads, which are our applications, they get deployed in the worker nodes. So I have a cluster that looks like this, and um, in order for for a cluster to exist, I need to have some Kubernetes configuration, some components that run in Kubernetes themselves. I have some applications that are running in, and we'll look into a little bit more detail on all kinds of applications, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of uh, deployments, secrets, whatever it might be. And I also might have some data that's running in in the cluster. So this is, you know, this is usually. The landscape, you know, and you have some configuration of your cluster itself, where it's running, how it's running, how many nodes I have, how many, how big are the nodes, and all that stuff. And then on top of it, I have the applications which are running inside a container in deployment, stateful sets, whatever they might be. And I also have some data. And we'll talk about different types of data in a little while. So that's fine. That's okay. That's a super high level, but just a little bit more, just a tiny bit more information, which I'm sure you're all aware of. And then we'll dig into, uh, it's important to understand some of the components because we're gonna dig into one of them in quite detail. Imagine I need to deploy this red website, right? It's just a simple website and all it does is it serves a red page. And this page you'll see (laughs) on my Kubernetes uh, videos quite a lot, it's just a static page. It doesn't do anything, all it does is a static page. And I can deploy this in a Kubernetes cluster by expressing this in a YAML file. So this is my deployment YAML file. I'm sure you've seen quite a few. You're probably sick and tired of seeing all these YAML files in in, in your life. But here here we are, this is a deployment file. And all the deployment file is a recipe for how many pods i like to deploy in my cluster. As in, or in a pod, I have a container, how many containers I'm running inside my cluster, how am I running my application. In this case, you can see in here at the bottom, I have containers, name, and I have this image, right. That's the container image that I like to run. And I've got some more information in here. We've got replicas too. So I'd, anytime I need to submit this to a cluster, I can take this YAML file, because you know it's uh, everything's in, written in the file itself. And I can submit this to a cluster using kubectl if I wanted to, right? Now I have this command line tool at my disposal, so I can perhaps use that kubectl, apply-f, deployment.yaml, and submit that to the cluster. I mean, I can deploy it from, from a pipeline or anything like that, I can submit it to a cluster. Now, once that goes to the cluster, that request gets received by the API server. API server receives that request, it takes that request, you send it as a YAML file, um, the uh, the uh, kubectl converts into JSON, API server receives it. It does, the API server does a lot of things inside. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about um, what it does inside, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, it receives the request and all it does, it parses it and then sends it over for it to be saved onto a database. Because we've got this information that we need to set this, this configuration that we want the cluster to eventually have. And that gets stored in the database. And that database is etcd. So we'll talk about etcd in a little while. And that information gets stored in etcd. Etcd uh, is the most important part, and this is where everything from backup comes in to start with. I'll just mention a couple of other things in here. Uh, once uh, uh, information about uh, uh, what we're trying to deploy gets stored in Etcd, it's like, what, what pod are we trying to deploy? What's the name of the deployment? How many replicas do I need? And then we have this controller manager that kicks in and says, oh, you, you're asking uh, uh, us to deploy two pods. So I'm going to go in and create your two pods. Uh, in within NCD, and then we have another component called the scheduler. And the scheduler kicks in and looks at all your all your worker nodes that are running, in and it picks one of the nodes and deploys it on there. So it just picks one node. And how do we actually deploy a workload? Just to just to give a full picture and finish off, uh, there's a component called kubelet that runs on every worker node. It's just a binary that runs on a worker node. And the point of the kubelet is to talk to the control plane by the API and ask the API if it has anything for it to run on the work no- worker nodes. So I've got all these multiple worker nodes. The scheduler has decided it's going to deploy one of the one of the replicas on worker node 1, which is on the left, and, and then the replica on worker node 2, which is on the right. So it's going to pick one, and it'll yeah. it will deploy to one of those. So but what Qubit does, it talks to um, the API server, which, which in turn gets the information from etcd and deploys it inside the worker nodes. Now, this is the crux of all backup and uh, recovery we're going to talk about. So etcd is a database, and uh, it works uh, using a RAF protocol. And what that means is we run it in a cluster, and there's usually uh, you run it like n plus 1 over 2. And it gives you um, what that means is if I if I have three uh, clusters, three instances of etcd running, if, if one fails, we can still keep operating. And if I have five, etcd is running if two fail we can still keep uh, still keep operating as long as they agree on what what the value gets written in and what is etcd is basically a strong (laughs) what a strongly consistent uh which means basically it it can the global ordering of events is very consistent so what what came in first what came in second and what happens is after we write from one client you know after we write the value to one one of the clients uh, another client won't ever see the data before writing, writing it. So basically what happens is everything is consistent. Everything gets synced across uh, across all of these uh, all of these nodes. And it's designed to be run as a distributed system. Unlike traditional SQL databases, you know, SQL databases, they just like run on one server. etcd uh, is designed from ground up to be run with multiple nodes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's particularly designed uh, allow it, it, it's, its design allows us to run for a high availability without sacrificing consistency which is which is really important and it's just a key value store. and all that does is unlike sql databases etcd data model is straightforward all it's got is key and value and there's no relationship instead of arbitrary data relationships you know between one table to another this helps it ensure relatively predictable performance uh, against SQL. And this is where in etcd, where all the information about the apps get stored and the state of those containers or the pods that are running in, everything goes in etcd. When we do kubectl get pods and give me the information information about the pods, uh, we can uh, we can go in, it goes via etcd and pulls, pulls it out from there.
0: We got, we got a quick comment. Um, yeah. Someone say, that means we need to make various clusters of the same type.
1: Uh, as in, I'm just, just wondering what that actually means, Avanesh, uh, is that various clusters of the same type, the t- same type of work or, or, nodes that we're talking about? I'm, I'm assuming so. All oh, right, okay. So if that's, if, let's, let's answer it, if it's incorrect. Avanish, please ask the question again and, and we'll answer it. Um, so if I have a cluster in the cluster, I can have uh, worker nodes of any type, as in, First of all, I can have normal CPUs, I can have GPUs, I can have TPUs, and I can attach them all together. And that I can run that as one cluster. That's no problem whatsoever. And I can have sizes, machines of different sizes. I can have like a smaller machine or a bigger machine. I can pick anything I like from, from AWS. You know, I can pick like A1X2X large or A1 medium, or, or if you're an Azure, you can pick like B12 or whatever, A7. Um, so I, th- I hope we answer that question. If we don't, please ask again and we'll try and answer it. But please do let me know if the question comes again. Yep, no problem. Okay, cool. So all we got is a cluster and the cluster could be off multiple worker nodes or you can just have one worker node. And what we've got is etcd. And etcd is the thing that stores all the information about the apps, what's running, what's the state, what is the state of a cluster gets stored in etcd. And it's very important. If you want to read what's in etcd, it's uh, basically a, you can, you, you get this command line tool, etcdctl, and you can start writing your own values. So in here, I can do a put on key and a value. And in this case, we're doing foo and bar. So I can, foo is key and bar is value. Of course, we've always got to do foo and bar. And if you, want to, if you want to read the value, you can do etcdctl, get foo, and you can see, and it will read it and uh, read the value for it and say, yep, yeah, this is the value. I mean, it prints up foo and bar again, because it prints like key and value. Uh right, I think Avanish has asked uh, what is the mean of strongly? Oh, that's a, a very good question. So <clears throat> basically strongly consistent means is that uh, the events, the order in which they happen, they basically uh, you know, after we write from one client after a write to one client succeeds, another client will never be able to see a stale data before. Before writing it, so if one 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 node has succeeded in writing new information, no, the none of the other nodes will see any of the stale data. Stale data. I hope that answers your question. So basically, all we're saying is, anytime you read anything new, it's it's basically fresh, fresh information. If there's a caveat, there's a little caveat. If all the nodes agree uh, that the value that you're writing is correct, I hope that answers your question. So let me go back. Right. So all we've got is etcd, and we've written all the values in etcd. Everything about our cluster is in there. Every time a pod gets deleted, it gets updated in etcd. Every time a pod gets updated, uh, we update the information etcd. In if it moves from one node to another node, we update that. And all the information about services, about ingresses, everything that we submit to the cluster gets stored in etcd. Now, sometimes what happens is we have, we're running stateful workloads, as in, I've got this container, usually in Kubernetes, we run stateless workloads. As in, if I delete a container, it doesn't matter if, if, if anything's, uh, if, if it's in the middle of the process of doing anything, we'll just come back on and continue as if nothing's happened. The stateful workloads, it could be that I have an application that's running and it's writing to a file. And if it's writing to a file, if it crashes halfway through, you're in a bit of a trouble. Uh, well, how do we re- recover from that? And that can happen. So imagine I have this, this red app at the same time. Uh, and all it does is uh, it, uh, every time the person logs in, it takes the information about who's logged in from where and writes it to a file. If the container crashes, we can lose the data that's inside. it, and, and, and I'm sure you all know that. But what we can do instead is we can have an abstraction of a volume. So volume is where we write data. And a pod can use any number of volume types simultaneously. Because volumes could be different, and we'll talk about different volume times in a second. And you know, volumes have a lifetime of a pod if we just work uh, normally. So if, if the pod crashes, the volume is going to disappear with the pod. But what we do want to do is have what's known as a persistent volume, which will exist beyond the lifetime of the pod. So if the pod crashes, we still have this volume that's existing. right? So the file that we're writing to that still exists. So when a pod ceases to exist, Kubernetes def- will you know right now if if we don't have this abstraction, if a pod ceases to exist, well, Kubernetes will Kubernetes def- will destroy the ephemeral volume. However, what it won't destroy is what if we have a persistent volume. And we'll talk about persistent volume is just an abstraction. Um, and and for any given kind of volume in a given pod, data is preserved across the containers if it restarts. And at its core, I think just if we just talk about generally a volume is just a directory, that's what it is, right? And I'm sure we all agree on that. Possibly with some data in it, which is accessible to the containers in a pod. And how that directory comes to be, and the medium that backs it, and the contents that, depending on the type of volume that you use, because right now I can go and store data if I wanted to. If I'm if I'm in Azure or if I'm in GCP, I can store that in a in 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 a storage bucket. I can storage in a, in a, in a blob in Azure. If I'm AWS, I can store in a, in a block storage. Uh, I can pick uh, uh, any other uh, any other type of data. So all we've got is basically what we want to have is this this abstraction of not writing the volume inside, but having this thing called the persistent volume. And persistent volume is basically an abstraction that allows us to write to any different type of volume. And what are the different types of volumes? Uh, Kubernetes offers you several types based on what you're doing and what provider you're going to be running your Kubernetes cluster on. And I'm going to stick some of them here. Uh, so if you're in AWS and if you want to if you want to run uh, if you want to write to write a file to one of the um, one of the storage options like I mean you've got CephFS which is cloud agnostic. We've got a zero disk, a zero file. AWS has some. Um, on the other side we've got what well, there's some specific ones in here host path clusterfs uh we'll talk about the, the claims in a little while but basically what we've got is a number of options to be able to run volumes how how are we all doing by the way are we are we still good or is everything still clear i just let me know in the chat but are we doing good very very good um
0: all nice right. nice because we, we, we've had a couple of talks about uh persistence volume but i think it was explained very very well from this perspective of understanding why you're going to do this because if a meteor strikes or if somebody gets hacked or if a data center has some other kind of problem, what are the kind of steps that they want to have in place beforehand so that they don't run into a situation where everything just disappears?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got another, uh, another, another question on executing ML workloads. Is there some sort of topology aware mechanism used in terms of the IO operations on the nodes? Oh, all depends on what kind of workloads you're running. And I think this, this is, that's, that aren't, you know, it's the same. It doesn't matter if it's ML workloads or normal. Uh, we'll talk about ML in a second, but uh, let's just talk, uh, and, I'll, and I'll answer your question in a second. And uh, if you're running ML workloads or, or just workloads in general, um, is if there's any topology we should be aware of, I mean, we're gonna discuss that, but in terms of ML workloads, depends on what you're doing, depends on what you're doing. Let's say you're just running a normal, I don't know, a batch job. And all it does is runs at nighttime uh, it's got some TensorFlow logic in it. And you can just run that normally as a normal deployment. But you can, uh, you know, run stuff in a GPU. And the way you mount a GPU is slightly different. Um, I think there's no specific thing as to like, oh, this is, what, this is one answer depending on what you're doing. So Kubernetes, you can run a lot of ML frameworks on top of Kubernetes. Like, you know, you can run... Uh, depending on what you're doing. You can run Kubeflow on, on Kubernetes, you can run Apache Spark on Kubernetes and all, all that sort of stuff. Depending on what you're trying to achieve, is then you have to you, you have to like kind of pick one topology of what you're doing. But um, like if you have a bit more specific questions, let me know. But I think in terms of um IO operations on the nodes, uh you just have to be a little bit careful. For example, imagine you are writing, you have a pod that's running and let's say you have, you're writing to local storage. Let's say you are, right? you're writing to local storage, and storage exists only on that node. And if that pod crashes and restarts and ends up on a different node, oh, we are screwed. Because what you're writing is in a different node, not on this node. So I think what you have to be is, you have to be a little bit uh, careful of which solution of storage you pick. And that's why we have these tons of tons of options. Uh, let's say you do local host, right? And local is going to give you Give you that problem. Um, so yeah depending on what you're doing uh, you just have to be careful in like what kind of solution you pick for your uh, for your um, for your workloads. I, I hope it answers it. I think I did go a bit round in a second. But let's go ahead. So what should we back up? What we need to do is we need to back up anything that's running in, that's in etcd we get anything all the information that's stored in etcd uh, perhaps some of the configuration files, stuff like our Docker files, our YAML files, you know, we don't want to lose any of that stuff. Uh, if we lose it, perhaps we can bring it back. Maybe some of the, you know, the images that are running in the cluster. So containers are running in the cluster. In dev environment, I might have different images running than in production environment. If I lose the images, I need to be able to get them back. Perhaps I can rebuild them or whatever I can do. What else do I need to uh, um, look out? Look out if I need to um, uh, take a backup is maybe a database. I need to make sure I back up a database. Also, if I have any volumes, we talked about volumes, and maybe if if there's an infrastructure, if there's an infrastructure that's there, I need to make sure I can back that up. And we'll, perhaps we'll can we'll cover the infrastructure first. But what we got here is a number of things. Like we've got etcd that stores all of the information about the state of the of the database of our cluster. And uh, we've got some configuration file, we have some images. Perhaps we're running some databases. And that is where we're going to talk about should you run databases in Kubernetes? We'll have a little bit of discussion there. And then persistent volumes and infrastructure. And if, in my opinion, if we consider all of this stuff, we and you know we can think about if we should back up uh, or not. Maybe let's take the take the easiest bit. Uh, uh, in consideration first and let's start with infrastructure. I'll start, I know that was last on the list, on the list, but we'll start with that one. Oh, cool, uh, but fair enough. I think it looks like we've answered your question. Imagine you're running a Kubernetes cluster anywhere. So this is a day. I've got this diagram of Databricks. You're running this in, in GCP. You have a Kubernetes cluster that's running in GCP. Of course, you need to create one. In Kubernetes, uh, if you need to create a Kubernetes cluster in GCP, you need a project. In there, you need a cluster. You also might need, uh, you know, like some uh, some uh, account stuff, so IAM permissions and all that sort of stuff. You might have to create some users. You might need some external services like cloud container registry, cloud storage, uh, stack driver for any of the uh, logging and monitoring. You might even need a, a NAT that's going to allow your workloads that are running inside the cluster to talk to the bits that uh, talk to the bits on the internet. And you might also want to have um, multiple zones inside the Kubernetes cluster. So there's a lot of configuration that goes in. So there's options, right? So you can either go in and create it from the UI manually, or you can do what uh, what we what what you all hopefully are doing or looking at doing is use infrastructure as code. Uh, what we what we make sure is make sure that everything is written in code somewhere. It could be anything. It could be Terraform. Could be Bloomy. Any other, you can even write bash scripts, whatever you like, whatever you write and like or you'd like to write, you can you can use that. So if you lose infrastructure that created your cluster in the first place, you can take those scripts, you can kick off your pipelines, and they can go and create your cluster. And perhaps you create a cluster using, maybe you create a cluster using spread maybe you create a cluster using kubeadm. You can you can go ahead and create it from there. Why do we use uh, IAC infrastructure as code? I'm sure you all all aware of this, but really quickly, it gives you consistency to make sure that you know everything. If you when you recreate your infrastructure from from when it, when you lose it and you create it again, you've got this consistency from before. You haven't lost any of the permissions. You haven't lost any any other things. Um, it's quite quick to create stuff. You don't have you know it allows for faster execution when configuring when configuring the infrastructure. And you can, you know, gives you a bit of visibility and help, helps other teams as well. People can copy your code and apply it elsewhere. And if you have, don't have to do any of the manual intervention, you can reduce the cost, hopefully. And you can reduce risk if you're not doing anything manually. And more importantly, you can scale out. If you wanted to scale out and change things and do more or do less, you can do that. But, you know, if I have my scripts, I can take the bit that I need to do that if I lose a cluster, if I lose my infrastructure, if a, if a meteor uh, strikes the data center, as Bart was saying, um, we can grab our scripts again, run them, and basically uh, and recreate our infrastructure from scratch. But well, that infrastructure is fine, but that doesn't give us our workflows that are running inside the cluster. All we've created is a plane. Blank infrastructure. Right, things have gone wrong. We've lost everything. Maybe we delete our project. Got deleted. Our account got deleted. So, but we have these, uh, these scripts which are stored somewhere inside uh, in in, uh, in in GitHub, and we can pull them up. So the next thing is uh, uh, logically, we'll say, oh, maybe we should have a look at what's inside etcd and see if we can back up because we said the state of the database lives in etcd. And if I have a backup of HCT, perhaps I can restore from that backup and get everything back. Sounds like a great idea, and I'm pretty sure you're all aware of, right? So I have this key-value pair uh, uh, database that's running in in our in in our in, in for our cluster, and uh, all it's doing is all of the state is inside the cluster, right? Every the whole state is in the cluster, and uh, the snap um, basically what it does is uh, uh, if I lose all the nodes. Uh, the I can create like a snapshot of the database, and all the Kubernetes states and all the critical information can get stored. And I can keep, uh, 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 and you know, I just need to make sure that I encrypt uh, the the snapshot files. I can do. I can use uh, what's called a built-in snapshot. So I can take. I can use etcd command line tool, which is called etcdctl. And I can run this command if I if I have access to the Kubernetes cluster. I can run etcdctl. Snapshot save and I give it a name. I can call it DB or snapshot DB, whatever I call it. I'll just create me a file called snapshot DB. And we should, you know, you will, wherever you create it, it will be in that directory. And that will include your state of a cluster at that point in time. And what you can do is if you want to, if you, if you, if, if something goes wrong, you can restore your etcdctl. Uh, Let's say you got a brand new, brand new uh, cluster. You, you just have to make sure you save this file in in a location that's not inside the cluster. right? Maybe it's in a it's in a bucket somewhere. Maybe it's in a different machine. Maybe it's, uh, it's somewhere else. And you can restore easily using etcdctl, snapshot restore BB. And all we've got is we'll go back to hopefully where we fully were. We'll talk about a bit of uh, some some of the limitations in a second. And if etcd is running on a storage volume, because you can do that, but that supports backup. Uh, such as, you know, you may, let's say you're running an, an Amazon Elastic Block Store, you can back up etcd data by taking snapshots off that volume. And if you're using a different volume, you'll have different capabilities. If you're re- using a volume from, from like, uh, you know, um, from AWS, sorry, from, from GCP or from, from AKS, all these volumes have some sort of snapshot capability. So you can take snapshots of these volumes as well. So you've got two options here. Now, so how do we restore um, from you know from the snapshot, which is we just said, you can do etcdctl snapshot restore db. And you can what you can do is you can you use snapshots snapshot version, the, their version. So you've got major, minor, and patch. And uh, and you can if you can just like restore from a different patch version as well. So it just, just allows you to do that. What else can you do? I mean, you know, I've got this command that I need to run in at cdc, ctl, snapshot, uh, save. What you can do is you can run that command as a cron job. And if you run it as a cron job, it's basically running a script. Every whatever the cron setting you've got it on, and it will take the snapshot of the database and save it where you want to save it and managed kubernetes offering uh, differ from one to another so imagine if you're using amazon aks amazon's kubernetes service or uh, you know aws's offering or gcp's offering or anyone else's offering um, you know the, the ability for you to take snapshots will differ and the point of you, us using a managed service is so that we don't have to you know look at all these snapshots and take uh, snapshots of etcd we'd hope that uh, you know it'll give us high availability. But for example, in GKE, you can, so in uh, Google Kubernetes Kubernetes offering, you can uh, uh, back up the uh, the etcd snapshot by getting the pod is cube etcd-o. Um, and you know, you can check the version and you can run the commands like you normally would, and you can basically uh, you can take a snapshot file. Google actually do not recommend restoring from backup files unless the cluster is completely broken. Um, So you know it's it's not like, uh, depending on where you're running your cluster, it's not what's happening. So some limitations. Um, This process, depending, so this is a bit of a generalization, depending on where you're running your etcd, depending on where you're running it, usually this procedure does not back up any application-specific data. So I mean you've got some configuration files that might not back up those. It doesn't back up your persistent volumes. And that's a bit of a problem, right? So that's where all our, our data might be living. Uh, depending on when the snapshot was taken, you know, you could be taking snapshots every, I don't know, every hour, maybe every six hours, maybe every 10 minutes, maybe every five minutes. Any workloads that were scheduled after the backup was created won't, won't be restored. But that's the that's correct for every every kind of backup, right? So you have to kind of consider how often you back up. And sometimes, most of the times, imagine you're doing a, an upgrade and you go into a state which is very tricky. Um, and uh, um, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to restore the cluster from a failed upgrade. So you might have to you know, try and just fix that problem rather than try and roll back. So I think the the lesson there is if you if you if you want to do that, try that in dev environment first, then in, in testing environment, then production environment. And the procedure is not intended to restore a deleted cluster. Um, so, you know, you can't restore a deleted cluster. We said we're to basically bring back um, bring back infrastructure. And uh, so, basically, in etcd, we have some limitations. Uh, we have some limitations. Hope we are. Are we doing Bob? Are we doing okay? I just, I just want to make sure we still are. You can still hear me. Is that. Good. Was that. Oh, Fantastic. Good, good. Yep. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Any questions? Please throw them in. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on the chat. So let's take a stop where we go. We've, we've decided. We've figured out we can talk about infrastructure. We can you know we can kind of restore from infrastructure if you wanted to. Uh, we've got all the configuration files written as infrastructure as code, so we can bring them up, run them in our pipeline, and or run them as we would like to run before, and just bring the things back as we were. And we can we can take snapshots of our of the state record, uh, of our cluster. And store them in in in, in etcd. You know, they store in etcd, and we can take the snapshot, and we can uh, uh, store the snapshot anywhere we like. that We can restore from the snapshot, so that's fine. That's okay. But how about you've lost all? You know, like uh, what about the configuration files, your your Docker files, your YAML files, your you know your deployment files, services file, ingress files? I think one of the things I'll just just this is just by passing, I'll just mention a couple of things because everything is in etcd. You don't really need your files, right? Because everything's in etcd The only thing, perhaps, you might need is your, um, you know, once you've restored, you can, you, but you won't be able to fully restore the, the limitations that we were talking about. So, one of the things that can help you save your files uh, is is GitOps, right? So, I, I'm sure you all have, you know, all have heard of GitOps and and how it works. Uh, I'm just going to mention it's kind of back some sort of backup, but not really. So well, I think I should just do an honourable mention of uh, uh, of uh, of of GitOps. Um, so uh, let's uh, do this. Uh, let's talk about use. So what GitOps is? So GitOps is you. What you do is you use infrastructure as code, which is what we we're doing before. And uh, and what you want to do is you want to save everything in Git. So that means your configuration files, your um, your clusters file, cluster files, and your um, you know, infrastructure code files, your state of the cluster, everything gets stored, gets stored in Git. And then what we do is you automate everything. So this work comes from our friends at WeWorks and, you know, this GitOps stuff is, uh, is, quite, uh, is quite famous. Um, um, one second, just cool. And then, you know, um, <clears throat> now what we can do is we automate everything. One, and one, the, one thing
0: just before that, quick question about uh, any tools. Would you recommend any tools to encrypt the etcd data on uh, REST after back, after
1: backup? Oh, yeah. So that, that all depends on, so depending on where you're storing your backup. So imagine you might be storing your backup in, you know, uh, let's say in one of the um, buckets, let's say you're storing in a bucket somewhere uh, and you're using, I don't know, uh, some key management encryption. It's it's a normal file. So anything you want to, any, anything you do with a the encryption, any of the process that you currently use with encrypting your files, you can still use them. So none of that stuff uh, changes. So imagine if in Kubernetes, you're using key management system to encrypt your secrets or anything like that. You can use the same same tool to be able to encrypt. There's nothing specific about etcd uh, uh, file to be for encryption, uh, I think, um, in my opinion. So you can't just use anything you'd like. I hope that answers your question. I think it was that. Are we good? Well, let me know if I've answered the question. But I'll check if there's any specific tools and I'll ping you later. Yeah, I think yeah no worries. Yeah. I, think, I think it's just, uh, for, in my opinion, it's just it's like a normal file, treated like a normal file. Any of the tools that you're using currently uh, for encrypting your files, you can, you can still use them. So what we do is we automate everything. Cool. So what that means is, in GitOps, what that means is you take your configuration files, you make a change to your configuration file if you wanted to, and you store them in Git. And then eventually, what you want is that thing to get up, uh, deployed into a Kubernetes cluster. So, you know, what we want to do is take our deployment file and deploy in the Kubernetes cluster. And usually, when you deploy something, we have two options we have push or pull. It pushes GitHub, a pipeline gets triggered in GitHub that does a kubectl apply minus F onto the Kubernetes cluster. But what we want is we want a pull based operation. What's that? Oh, I think I'm <laughs> this thing. There you got there's some, some slides we're missing. I think we're good now. What we do on is is a pull based uh pull based operation, and what we want to do with the pull based operation is what we have a Kubernetes cluster that's running, and the cluster is talking to GitHub and pulling information and polling for information every five minutes or so. So instead of GitHub pushing it, the Kubernetes cluster is pulling the information. So we have an operator, which is something that's running in a Kubernetes cluster that's, that's, a, a, that's executing some logic and pulling what's changed in the Kubernetes cluster and applying it to the cluster itself. And what that allows you to do is stops you from having any configuration drift. If anybody deletes your cluster and you bring the cluster back, the cluster will talk to GitHub and say, oh, what am I supposed to have in the Kubernetes cluster? And you'll see all these files, all these YAML files, all the charts that you were supposed to have. I'll say, oh, I'm missing these things. I'll take those files and apply them on the cluster. So it kind of gives you some of that backup, right? So it kind of gives you some of the backup information. So it's a pool-based operation. So all changes go via Git and GitOps, and everything is audited. So if you wanted to go back to a specific version, you can just roll back to a previous commit. And when you roll back to a previous commit, check into Git, it will trigger it. Uh, It will get triggered from like, you know, next time the Kubernetes cluster pulls and to pull some information, it'll say, oh, a change has occurred let me go and pull this information up like it. What else? Uh, I can roll back anything I like if I wanted to. And you only have to do by Git, everything is good. But what GitOps does give you, uh, we have to do some special work for data. And uh, let's talk about databases, right? Let's say if you have databases or any services with persistent data, we need to handle them differently. And you can use GitOps, GitOps to manage the changes. Let's say we have a database. You see, and you know, you need you need to change the schema, but if I need to change the schema, I have to write the specific code that goes with to change the schema. I have to write that framework or implement that framework that actually does it. So, in order to do to manage data from from GitOps is a little bit hard, uh, and you have to do the specific uh, specific work. So, what we got is so far. Let's take let's take stock. Uh, we're halfway through, and we you know we've got a few more slides go through we'll talk about some of the other options as well so what we've got so far is we can we can roll back our infrastructure if we wanted to and we've got we can take snapshot of etcd and that will give us a lot of things but not everything we can't get the state uh, uh restored from it we can only get uh you know like the pods that are running in and all that sort of stuff if you wanted to get configuration files back we can get the configuration files back if we if if we were just checking them into github right or source control of any kind or perhaps we can use um GitOps to bring some state of the cluster back. Because the state of the cluster is stored in, in GitHub. And uh, we have a cluster that's running a special special pod in, a, in, in an operator form inside the cluster. So check out some some really cool projects like uh, Flux from WeWorks. And um, and you know that's that's a really cool project. And Argo C D. And all that allow will allow you to do is if you install any cluster, you can attach it to a GitHub, uh, uh, Git repository, and you can pull all the information and deploy on your cluster. So we've done all of that stuff. And next, what we're gonna do is look at images. So, oh, why is that there? I wonder why. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel. <laughs> so, my I just like to take a break It could be any page. It
0: could be any page. I mean, it just happened to be this one. By it's the 100%. way, Sawman will be speaking next week in Kubernetes Community Days UK. Check it out. I also want to be there as well, just by accident.
1: Just by just, just by accident, just by accident. Right, well, how are we doing for time? But we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, you're doing splendidly. All right, cool. Um, so I just like to mention about container registries too, because one of the things that you can lose is the images. Uh, let's say you are, you know, your Kubernetes cluster is running your workloads. Where does it get your images? Your container images? It gets them from, gets them from a, a container registry of some sort. It could be Docker Hub. It could be uh, you know, it could be uh, AWS ECR, whatever you're running. You know, you could you could use one of the managed container registries or you can create your own container registry if you wanted to, you could create one on. I've got this JFrog container registry as well. So we could be using container registry from there and all our images, images are getting pushed onto that. I think one of the things that we should look into is every time you create container registry, depending on what kind of registry you use, and uh, it's is a good practice to deploy something which is like geo-replicated perhaps in multiple regions. Because you know, you could be deploying, your, your cluster could be running, uh, you, you could have a cluster that's running in different regions and you could, uh, you could be deploying containers into multiple regions. So you can do this geo-replication just to make sure everything uh, gets replicated across different, regis- across uh, in, in the registry across different regions. And even if you're like, let's say you're serving like local users could be but you can basically enable some geo replication as good practice to perhaps minimize latency but also give you some of that backup if you lose the container registry in one region at least you have the container registry in another region that can let you pull the images from there now that's fine that all depends on what kind of uh, container registry you use and you can also automatically and depending on what kind of container registry you use like for example jfrog Allows you to automatically and periodically backup the entire of your container registry system. And what the backup system does, it creates a timestamp directory in target backup, you know, directory wherever you want to, wherever you want to keep it. So you can basically restore. Uh, you can to restore, you can do a restore system backup. You just basically need to import it. Now, and if if everything goes bad, you can still restore it from your Docker files, but you just have to go back to the right time right moment in your container, in your GitHub repository, and, and go back and roll it back from there because the code has moved on. So talk about images, we talk about configuration files, talk about etcd, talk about infrastructure. What about databases? What about databases? How do we do a backup of database? But let me ask you all the question and we'll answer it together, but uh, please, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be interested to hear your opinions. Shell, I run? A database on kubernetes let me know in your chats what you think let me know about what you think should we run a database in kubernetes Bart? yes yes ask... we should do it do it do it <laughs> all right so let's see how do we how do we run databases in kubernetes first in the first place anyway so I mean we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of growth of uh, uh, you know like this let's call it the application layer right so we've got this application which is state stateless and everything's running everything's working w- working well. And uh, you know the data layer of our application hasn't re- is is starting to get a lot more traction now, but is not is not as the, the development is not as fast as with like you know stateless workloads, and it's not surprising because because containerized workloads inherently have to be resilient to restarts, scale ups, virtualizations, or any any other constraint. There you go, learning fun, and I agree with that. Yes, you can inform a stateful sets. and we'll talk about that in a in a in a in a second. So, if you run databases in, in inside Kubernetes, you need to, you need to make sure you pick the right kind of technology. We'll talk about that in a, in, a, in a second because containers have to be resilient to restart, scale out, and all that sort of stuff. So, handling things like state, let's say database, uh, and make it available to the application layers and redundancy of the database can have like specific, very specific requirements. How, you know, how do I make sure the database is running? This this could make it a challenge to run a database in distributed system. For example, if I have MySQL and I scale out multiple instances of MySQL in my cluster, you know, I can, I have a deployment of MySQL that's running inside the cluster. It's a very crude example. I can do a replica from two till three, Oh, is one replica running? I can scale up to two replicas. How do I sync the data between the two MySQL instances? It's a little bit tricky, right? So that's why uh, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, but Kubernetes is great, right? Uh, we get a lot more. Uh, there's there's some so there's some good stuff to be had from Kubernetes. You can I can. If there was if there was a stack that I can bring up rapidly, I can I can do that in Kubernetes, right? I can start a container really quickly. I if it, if it crashes uh, and if it's deployed as a stateful set or deployment or, or whatever it is, it can restart the server. Beautiful stuff, right? I, and I also I can do health checks as well, right? So why not? Why should we not? So what we want to do is uh, you know like uh, we we perhaps we want to treat data infrastructure the same way as you treat the application stack, right? That's what we want. It should be the same, right? it should not be that complicated. And what we want is, we wanna make sure we use the same tools for databases and applications and get the same benefits uh, as application layers and you know in the data layer so we can rapidly spin up. So if you need to run databases, we specifically talk about that. We have basically, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, three options. Three, uh, broadly speaking, three options. One is fully managed. And well, that's what, what what people call a low ops choice. Uh, uh, Russell says you can if you have your own DBA. If not, then it might be better to pick a database uh, as a managed service. And I 100 agree with Russell. Bart is not going to love this stuff, but you know I'm with this. Uh, I'm with this on Russell. <laughs> what he's saying. I, I, res- I respect Russell. I respect that. I'm sure he has his reasons. That's fine. <laughs> I, I want to know your reasons there. but so uh, listen. So basically, what we got is. At a very high level, we've got three options. We've got fully managed, which is, you know, no ops. Um, uh, you let the cloud provider handle any of the maintenance tasks like backups, patching, scaling. And as a developer or an operator, I don't need to mess with them, right? How do I do a backup of this? How do I do an update of this? I don't need to do any of that. All I can do is just create a database, build my app, and let the cloud provider scale it for me if I need it uh, uh, so I can focus on what I need to do which is write the business logic, right? We need to be able to write business logic and it all depends on what kind of skills you have. And I completely agree with Russell saying, if you've got your own DBA, you know, maybe it's possible. But what we want to do is focus on writing logic. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, having your own car or having an Uber. I don't, you know. <laughs> so what, So one of the things this fully managed option does not give you is you might not have the choice of the database that you'd like to run is getting provided by the cloud provider. Maybe the cloud provider is not a MySQL specific version or an extension or an exact flavor of the database that you want. Or you can do a DIY on a VM. You can grab the an VM, uh, and you can basically take a virtual machine. You can take whatever database you want to run, and you can install it. This is perhaps what, you can, what people might refer to as full ops option, where you take the responsibility for building your databases, building your machines, you're scaling it, managing reliability, setting up backups, and more. All of that can be a lot of work, but you have all the databases that you can use. Uh, You got all your flavors at at your disposal. Or what you can do, this is, I can guess, Bart's favorite option, is run database on Kubernetes. Is that right, Bart? Is that your favorite option?
0: That is an amazing option.
1: (laughs) This is, so this, in my opinion, is closer to the full ops option that I talked about in DIY, or depending on the choice of database you pick, which is very important. But you get a lot of options. You get a lot of benefits. Uh, you do get some benefits. Uh, I, I completely agree with Russell. Russell doesn't like fixing database issues in the middle of the night. I don't like fixing fixing any issues in the middle of the night, let alone database. Databases are harder to manage. Completely agree with that. I'm, I'm sure Bart loves that stuff. Too, but Bart is cool with that. You can wake up at 2am and sort no, it out. I, I sleep. I have no weekends,
0: I have no holidays, I dedicate <laughs> all of them to working on da- broken databases.
1: <laughs> so basically, this is closer to uh, a full ops option, but you get some benefits in terms of automation uh, Kubernetes provides to keep database up and running. It will talk about if something crashes, it gets up and running. So for example, it is important to remember that pods are transient, you know, and so the likelihood of database application restart failover is higher. And, and also some of the more database-specific administrative tasks, such as backup, scaling, tuning, are different due to the added abstraction that comes with containerization. So there's there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of a uh, there's you know there's a there's there's some there's some added complications. So how do you do Kubernetes? We'll talk about that in a second. Learning fundamentals is exactly what we're going to talk about. So. When you do go down, you might you might say, you know, I still want to stick with Kubernetes because it does give me some options. When you when you when you're choosing to go down the Kubernetes route, all you need to do is you need know, to think about what database you'll be running, and how it will work, given the trade-offs that we previously discussed, because you still have to like manage all that stuff. Since pods are mortal, and the likelihood of basically failover is is higher or or than a fully managed database, because you know something can happen the pod is running in a cluster in the node and somebody's submitted, somebody's running a pod within the same node and they forgot to write uh, the, um, you know, they forgot to add quota limits and it took over all the memory of the, of the node and there's not enough memory, there's starvation of memory, lots of queries are coming to the database uh, the database pod uh, cannot manage and it starts crashing. It's easier to run a database on Kubernetes, if, in, if it includes concepts like sharding, failure election, replication, built into its DNA. So you know, like stuff like Elasticsearch, Cassandra, MongoDB. Those are a lot easier to run in Kubernetes than our standard. You know, I'm just I'm saying standard, but then like let's say MySQL or Postgres database. So this is something that you should should consider. Like Elasticsearch, Cassandra, MongoDB, they're good. And actually there's, there's many open source projects that provide, uh, that provide custom resources and operators to help maintaining the database. Custom resources like a, is like any other resource in Kubernetes, like you have a deployment. You can define a type of database. You can define a type of MySQL database, and you can do, you can do kubectl, create me a new database, and I'll create your new database inside Kubernetes cluster. That's powerful using from kubectl. You can define those things. And those operators exist. Quite a few of those operators exist. And we'll, I'm going to mention a couple in, in, a, in a little second. Next, what you need to do is you need to consider the function that database is performing um, in the context of the the application that you're running for the business. So, you know, if the data is storing more uh, like caching layer than actual you know storage data, then is maybe is better fit for Kubernetes. And you know, the data layers of that type are typically a, a bit more resilient. Uh, built into applications. So, you know, it just makes a bit of an overall better experience. Finally, you have to be sure that uh, the replication modes available in the database, are, uh, you know, work work fine, for example, the synchronous modes of, um, you know, can lead to data loss because you could lose transactions. Um, So basically what we need to do is be sure of understanding what we're getting into, what we need to do if we incur data loss. And how much of that is, in, is is acceptable in the context of our application? So, shall I run a database on Kubernetes? And I think the best answer that I got when I was researching this a little while ago is from this diagram from from Google. And you know we just talk, we just talked about this being Kubernetes friendly. Some some database types are a bit more Kubernetes friendly than others. So <laughs> all it says is, does my database have Kubernetes friendly features? No. If that's not the case on the left-hand side, is there an operator that can help? So if there's an operator it's basically somebody's written some, some custom logic to help with that, uh, w- to help run that uh, database in, in your cluster, if it doesn't exist, um, um, if it exists, it's a lot easier. If it doesn't exist, can you write your own operator to do that, to deal with that? Or if the workload that it puts on you to be able to manage that cluster, is that acceptable? then yeah, create, you know, run it wherever you like, run it on a VM, run it on Kubernetes. But the least part of least resistance in all of this, like with everything else, is pick a fully managed database. <laughs> so if you do want to deploy on Kubernetes, how do you deploy? It? Uh, imagine you you look at that decision tree and you decide, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go with we we're gonna go with Kubernetes on uh, with database on, on Kubernetes. You can use stateful sets. In, to deploy uh, databases on Kubernetes. And stateful sets is like, a, just like another object in Kubernetes, it manages the deployments and scaling of pods. But what it does additionally, is kind of like deployment, but it does additionally, it guarantees the ordering and the uniqueness of the pods. And also what it does, it basically makes sure <clears throat> they are, basically gives a sticky identity for each pod and you will be able to, Right, give you, get you, it will get you persistent storage, so you can store the information that you're happening, that's whatever's happening in a pod in in that storage. So you can deploy databases as stateful sets. And the, to answer the question, how can you deploy databases and on on Kubernetes? Is they have a number of options? You can either use um, operators that already exist, so you can create the CRDs on your cluster, or you can take. That's that's probably one of the options, and I'm going to show you a couple of options in a second. Or you can create a stateful set, and there's t- plenty of examples out there that you allowed to do that. And stateful sets, uh, you know, give you like, uh, basically give you a bit more stability. And what you can do with stateful sets is you can store the data on persistent volumes, and you can decouple the database application from the persistent storage, which is, there's two things, right? You have the database that's running and the storage stuff. So when the pod crashes, as in like the database applications, not the data, the data is still there because stateful sets give, gives us this persistent volume. Additionally, when the pod is creating a stateful set, it keeps the same name as well. So you have a consistent endpoint to connect to. So if the application is talking like that, like pod name is exactly the same. So that's one of the options of running the databases. So, or what you can do, if you don't want to run a database that, that perfectly fits the model of Kubernetes friendly database, there's, you know, if it doesn't exist, um, you can go down the operator path. So for example, My, MySQL, Postgres, and an operator is just a piece of logic that sits in your cluster that uh, that behaves on something. So you define a, a custom resource definition of a new type, define a new type of your cluster, and then for example, MySQL is gonna be a new type of your cluster. And then you can say, oh, KubeCTL, you know, create me a cluster, create me a MySQL database, and an operator is just logic that's sitting in and it'll create you a cluster. And uh, there's a couple of operators there just put down You've got the Oracle MySQL operator. It's kind of it's kind of pretty easy to install and get it up and running. Or you can uh, run if you if you run PostgreSQL. These are two that I've used, and that's what the, I've put them up here. This Crunchy Data. Now there's there's many more. There's many more. Uh, and if you if you if you got a different type of data database, uh, definitely have a look at some of these uh, operators. How are we doing, Bob? Are we doing okay? Yeah. Gotcha. This is good, yeah, good. It's good, yeah. You still want to run databases, yeah? i am not changing my mind. I'm
0: even more convinced. I'm going to hire Russell to be on my team.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you know, we said pick the right database and you'll be laughing your way I towards... know, I understand.
0: There are databases that's... and there are databases, so
1: it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. You pick the right database and you're good to go. And, and to be honest, uh, it gives us lots of options. So that's that's all good. So how do you back up? Um, if you're using an operator, an operator will give you some options itself. So the operator itself, will have a different type on there. You can be able to create a backup. Again, that depends on types of operator. Or you can write your own. If the operator doesn't exist to give you backup, you can write your own operator, you can write your own logic and start taking backups. And these, depending on what they are, what they'll do is they'll attach to different sorts of um, storage. You might want to store the backup of the database in GCP cloud somewhere in, in a bucket or something like that. So you can do that. And you can write your own scripts. And run them as cron jobs if you if you like if you wanted to. Let's say you do a MySQL restore, you can create a container yourself with the script that runs, that executes and stores it. And uh, you know you can you can run them as cron jobs, which is just jobs that run on, uh, on a schedule, and then you know take a backup and dump the file somewhere you like uh, off that backup. Or you can use other tools like Portworx. I'm not going to go because there's tons of tools. I really don't want to go into a lot of tools in here, but I just wanted to say that you can use a tool that allows you, for example, if you have MySQL cluster that's running anywhere inside a database, inside Kubernetes cluster, or even outside, it gives you this ability to be able to uh, configure, take backups and, and restore them. Um, could you please share any links with respect to Postgres databases uh, on Kubernetes? Yes, we will definitely. If you give me a second, uh, uh, yeah, and we we actually have blogs, and we have plenty of videos about that as well too here.
0: So I can definitely. There uh, you
1: go, there yeah. you go. You know, we got we got Bart. You are the right place to ask this question. This Bart's is my job. This is my job. you covered. This is, covered. <laughs> this is to be honest, I, I I I'm not really bashing running databases on Kubernetes. Uh, if you pick the right choice, and you you know you and you your application, it, it basically if you can live with uh, what it gives you and it gives you some benefits, you should definitely go for it.
0: Yeah, regarding Postgres specifically, I'll link this video right here that we had in our KubeCon co-located event. And oh, I'll cool. also link his Twitter because Alvaro, if there's anybody who knows Postgres and Kubernetes, it's definitely him. There you go. And, and he, if And if you reach out to him on Twitter, if you have questions or also in our Slack, he will definitely help you out with that because he is very, very passionate about this topic.
1: No, it's good. Like if you have an operator that's that can help you with this stuff, the running database, it makes your job easy. It's like it's like automating all the operations and stuff that you need to do. If there's one that exists that can do it. And you know, it's and to be honest, it it, it just keeps getting better and better, right? So this is not you know, we we're we're to a point where people are running databases in production, not me though. <laughs> in production, the give it time. <laughs> give it time. <laughs> but yeah, it depends on the use case. And depending on what what kind of options you have, you can you can, you know, depending on how you're doing, you can restore from the backup. So Let's take stock. I think we I've been talking a lot. Let's take a stock of where we are. So we've got infrastructure. We've got etcd. Uh, we can take configuration files. We can take backups of those and re- recover from those images and databases uh, as well. Like you know, if they're running in Kubernetes, we can take backups. Right. We saw a few options here in in our case, depending on how you're running it. Depending on how you're running it, uh, you have options of off off either using. Uh, uh, if you're running a, your database in Kubernetes, you can. Uh, the, uh, the operators might give you op- options or you can write your own scripts to be able to create those backups and dump them where they are safe. So, la- well, so last thing here is volume snapshot. So we've got some volumes now. Let's just forget the databases in a second. Um, but at the, at the heart of it, the file where is living, even if it's a database, it's living in a volume or if an application is writing, it's living in a volume. It's living on a volume. So depending on whatever volume it is, doesn't matter what volume it is. It's some volume, some ways it's living. And what happens is you can create snapshots of volumes. So many storage systems, like if you let's say if you use GCP's persistent disk or Amazon Elastic Block Storage, I keep going back to elastic block storage, or you got you know, or, or even on-premises storage systems. And they give you this ability to create snapshot of persistent volume, depending on the type that you use it. So you can create these snapshots, and you can do them regularly, and you can store them. And uh, what they p- represent is a point in time representation, or uh, a copy, point in time copy of the volume. And you can uh, you can take that, and you can you can either create, uh, you can you can use a snapshot, and you can either create, you can either provision a new volume from that snapshot that you created, or you can restore an existing one to a previous state. So you had an existing one. And it ended up in like a weird state. You're like, oh, I need to go back to the previous state. You take that snapshot and you can do it. And this, this snapshot is actually a Kubernetes object. And the way you do it is you have a YAML file, yet again. I've got a volume snapshot type. Time is volume snapshot. And all I need to give it is a persistent volume claim. So we've got persistent volumes. And all persistent volume claim is when you... When you when it's like an abstraction on top persistent volume is all it says is give me this much storage and all the application all the pod refers to is a persistent volume claim and at the end of the day the persistent volume claim is attached to some volume that's running anywhere and in in this case what we can do is we can say yo take a snapshot of this volume claim. and if you look at the last line it says persistent volume claim name pvc test so, what I can do is I can take that snapshot and I can, I can store it wherever I like. So, whichever volume it is, it'll, it's going to go and get stored in. So, if you look at this, uh, um, <clears throat> how do I use this? Right. So, uh, let me just go back. How do I use this? Uh, um, how do I use it? I do a restore from this, uh, the snapshot that I, that I did. Right. So, I can go to my persistent volume claim file. And if you look at the last line, it says 10 gigabytes. So, all I need is 10 gigabytes of. Of, uh, of storage. And we've got some access modes in here, dif- different type. All this is pointing to is the volume at the end of the day. I can have it blank. I can have it blank. But if in the data source, I give it a name, the snapshot name itself, it will take that snapshot and it will basically bring it back. So a persistent volume claim will now be backed up from, uh, will now be restored from the backup that we created. previously. I hope that's clear. So. a few things we we discussed right we discussed a lot we talked about infrastructure how we can get that back etcd how we can get that back uh if anything goes wrong configuration files how we can get those back uh databases how we can get those back persistent volumes how we can get those back that's a lot right that's a lot that we have to do to get back but would you agree or would you not agree is that is that a lot to do it's a lot
0: but it's very it was so well explained and now it's really easy okay
1: (laughs) What if it was a little bit simpler, right? Let me give, let me give you one more thing. Let me give you one more thing. And unfortunately, we won't be able to see the demo because my my billing account in GCB got suspended today for some reason. But I'm going to point you in the perfect place where you can check it out. But what if as it was... a community,
0: as a community, we value your transparency that you will even reveal personal finance details. <laughs> <for the results. laughs> That's yeah, he's getting
1: I don't know what happened that changed the, my credit card. It's all bad, good, of, it's all good. But all you good. know, like, anyway, it is what it is, but I'm gonna yeah. point you in the right place um, and you can check it out. So what if it was this simpler? What if it was a little bit simpler where I can just basically run a couple of commands, it will take me back to exactly where I was uh, back in time. Maybe I can just run one command and say, "Oh, take a snapshot of, not just the, uh, the application itself, but also the volume. Cause that's the biggest pain, right? The volume we saw, we can take these snapshots but imagine you've got like hundreds of volumes running in your cluster. How are you going to take a snapshot of each volume? It's hard to do, right? Like you need to remember, have I taken a snapshot of this plane? Have I taken a snapshot of this plane? It's quite a lot to do. So there's projects. There's many projects out there. I'm only going to talk about the project that I think is, is very cool. But there's many. Valero. I'm sure you've had lots of talks in Valera, Bart. That's correct. Yeah, you, so there you go. Bart can probably send you a link on, uh, on demos of Valero and stuff. Like but if you have any links, please throw them in, in the chat. You know, I'll appreciate that. Um, so what does Valera try to do? Would uh, Valera give you? It's basically you have a cluster, and on that cluster, you can install, uh, you know, um, some operators. So some custom resource definitions, and you. So you got some extra pods there running in your cluster, and then it gives you ability to recover from disaster. And you know, you can migrate cluster. You can imagine if you if you're in on one cluster. And it can take you, uh, Valera can help you, from, port, you from one, uh, port your resources from one cluster to another. So as long as you point each Valera instance to the same cloud object store, and the way it works is in Valera, which we, we would have seen, but right, perfect, thanks, Bart, for that. Bart's shared a video now. And what you can do is you can basically um, point uh, Valera to, you can create a bucket anywhere you like, and you can install this on uh, in, the, in the cluster and you can point that to a bucket. And every time you take a snapshot, it takes a snapshot and stores it in that storage of, you, of your client, whatever you pick. And the scenario assumes that, you know, what we can do is we can bring back, or you can do like on-demand backups. I could just go in and create me a backup for one. I can just run a command and say, you know, create a backup now. I can do scheduled backups as well. So Valero treats uh, store object storage as basic. You know, like basically I can if I wanted to do a scheduled backup, I can I can do those as well. Um, and um, Valero also treats uh, object storage as source of truth. Continuously keeps checking uh, to see if the correct backup resource is always present or not. Uh, and you know, if it's not formatted correctly, it's very easy to use. It will just make sure you know uh, Valera synchronizes the information from object storage to Kubernetes and. Definitely check out the links that Bart is shared. I think that's that's more than enough for uh, to uh, for this. So let me just quickly show you one thing here. What Valero allows you to do is basically you have this backup control that's running inside your cluster, and you are creating your you know you create once you create the each Valero operation, for example, on demand backup, scheduled backup, or restore as a custom resource. So you can in, in a YAML file you can you can define it. And you'll check out in that video and you know and basically we've got some some operators controllers running inside inside the cluster that takes care of the process of you know performing the backup doing the restore and doing all the related related operations but all you need to do is you need to create a bucket where or a storage space where we can store all these backups and you can take backups of the backups so if you have a storage bucket you can take a backup of that just to make sure you don't miss anything so let me just do a some quick summary if you want to check out Check out whether check out the projects that uh, that uh, um, that um, Bart has just shared. So let me just do a, a quick summary. There's a lot to take in. Hopefully it was uh, you know it was easy to digest. Um, if you lose your cluster, there's quite a few things you have to consider. How you create your infrastructure, use infrastructure as code. Maybe you need to take SCD backups, right? Um, so if you need to take activity backups, take them regularly. But if you're using managed service. You don't need to worry too much about them. What about your configuration files? If you lose them, well, if you use GitOps or if you're using any source of source control, you can you can stick them. You can stick them in. Uh, any other images, container registries, you can you can use those. All the databases, if you want to use a, a database, um, we we'll talked about if you should or you should not use a database. Hopefully, we, we talked about. You have options, and some are very good depending on the the choices you make. Then you, you can run them, or you can be free of waking up at three a.m. in the morning and let any, somebody else take care of it. And, uh, or you can take snapshots, snapshots using personal volumes. But more importantly, you can use some of these projects like Valero to do the work for you. And Bart has shared some of that, some of the links. Um, before I finish, I'm gonna throw in this link again. There's a Kubernetes uh, uh, calculator that uh, learncades have, uh, have launched today. Uh, basically allows you to figure out how much you pay per pod depending on how many pods you want like this it's an interactive one i'm just going to increase the size and stuff um but yeah so i am going to share the link uh of that i I already did you're all good perfect man excellent excellent stuff we got we got the link already um also please uh don't forget to like and subscribe to my channel uh i don't know if you if you (laughs) should i throw the link link to my channel in 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 this case Uh, yeah do it do it uh, there's some new videos coming up. I think maybe we we'll, maybe will do some data videos I haven't done. Oh, videos. yeah, we could. No, uh, no, anyway.
0: Like, subscribe, share, create a fake account. Like, subscribe, and share with that <laughs> one, too. Hack your family's accounts. Get on there. Like, subscribe, and share. Do it. As you can assets. see, though, seriously, like, all, all jokes aside, super down to earth. No BS. No heavy sales pitches or things like that. This is really, really good quality content. And... Um, not only the people that have been watching this have been enjoying this, but I'm sure the folks that are going to be watching this later, uh, there was so much that was covered. Um, that is that is also a factor, but you did it in a, in a way that wasn't overwhelming. Um, slides were really clean and concepts very well explained. Even some things where you said as well too, folks might be familiar with these terms, but there's a lot of terms to be that you have to be familiar with. Um, so I think it's always good to, to go back and take a look at um, what you're talking about when you're referring to things like CRDs and etcds, because a lot of times these terms just go you know, blur together and get kind of
1: confusing. So, anyway, we're going to be having you back. Uh, no, definitely. I, I'm, you know, I, well, I've got one more slide here, which is uh, I really want to thank all of you for welcoming me here. I really appreciate that part. You made me feel so welcome. You have an amazing community, all the stuff that you do. Uh, please keep those raps coming. I don't want to. You know, every every week I wake up. I'm like, What's What's about, rapping about today? today? <laughs> Let me just check this now. It's like so you, it's like Spotify, right? It's, it's my Spotify. Just go on there, and you have really awesome people in the community, and uh, and you've really grown it amazingly well. And yeah. I really appreciate uh, the, the love you all shown me. And uh, hopefully, you found people found it useful. I know sure. some of it was quite high level. Some of it no, was no, little bit no, more no, detail. But, the, the, but I wanted to give like uh, I lost it. How do we get it back? There's quite a few things to consider. It's
0: brilliant because, like you said, these things are going to happen, and so uh, it it doesn't mean that you have to live in fear. Be prepared, you know. Yeah, it. yeah, and, no, absolutely. And the other and the other thing that you said as well too, way early on, that I think for folks that arrive maybe a little bit later, extremely practical wisdom, particularly someone who's spent a lot of time in communities, uh, as such as yourself, is that understanding that while there is a technical side, the people side is. At least I wouldn't say 50%, I'd say more like 80%. Yeah. Um, and makes a lot of these problems much easier to, to deal with by interacting with folks that have dealt with this stuff before, knowing that when you do have a problem like this, you can tweet somebody, you can tag somebody, you can contact somebody in Slack, say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with, and people will be more than happy to jump in. That's what community is about. So I think it's really nice to hear that from you, particularly someone who's been involved in the you know, organizing stuff in Wales, participating next week in the KCD UK. Yeah. Once again, everybody definitely check that out free event, lots of great talks. Can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly? Oh yeah, of finish? course, yeah, I'm
1: gonna yeah. stop, yeah, yeah. No,
0: no, to. no, no worries, no, no, it's not so that I have to see myself, I don't wanna see myself. Um, no, no,
1: there
0: you go. <laughs> okay, let me, uh, I just gotta get this up here really quickly we getting some great feedback in here. Great, great oh, feedback. No, thank Thanks. you. So, oh, thank you, everyone. Yeah, 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 I really yeah. appreciate no, but, it. You know. But the thing is, is you know, like what coming from the rap world, like game recognized game. You know, so when you get that nice feedback from people, it means that they really were paying attention. They value the content that you're putting out there, and you know that um, your your fan base is is is, is <laughs> uh, <laughs> crazy. expanding. Yeah. Which means it's never too late to start your music career, Soul Man. Uh, man. Uh,
1: that's <laughs> but, your that's your thing. That's yeah, how, yeah, that's
0: yeah. And, I, but, but I love the name. It's such a good name. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to share my screen real quick. So while you were talking, as usual, we had our amazing graphic recorder, Angel. Um, can you see my scene? My oh screen? wow, that's cool. oh, yeah. So yeah, so he was drawing all this. <laughs> he was drawing this to get a visual oh, depiction yes. of the stuff that we were talking about. I think it's really, really nice. Wow. But in the context of, you know, uh, imagine that you're on a boat.
1: Oh, and this is amazing. On your, this on, is... Your, on, your,
0: on your recovery boat. So so yeah, so Angel was drawing this while, while we were talking oh, and you obviously did a great job of explaining things because you made his job easier. English isn't his first language or his second, it's his third language. Um, so it's always a good sign you know, that there's, there's a connection there and, and very, very easy to put this uh, visually. So anyway, oh, so no, man, it was, wonderful. It. It was it. wonderful having you with oh, us. Thank you so um, much. I was already putting in the chat that we definitely have to have you back. We just got to find the excuse when. Oh, um, hoping fun. that I'll be able to cross the, the channel and get over to the UK at some point, if not this year, definitely next year. Um, so hopefully be able to see you in person as well thanks everybody for coming out um salman's really easy to find as you saw on youtube on twitter extremely active doing lots of stuff in the community um so feel free to reach out amazing training skills all that um so yeah that's all the time we have for today thank you very much for joining us today salman thanks everybody else out there as you once again sign up for kcd uh uk next week check out our co-located event we're going to be doing in KubeCon, and we'll be seeing you soon man
1: Thank you very much. Thank Take you all. Care. Cheers,
0: everyone.